This is a Fubar Radio podcast. Go to fubarradio.com for more details. Screen Talk with Dan Clark on Fubar Radio. Hello and welcome to Screen Talk. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, please rate the show, uh, tell your friends. If you want to hear the show with the songs in its entirety, tune in to foobarradio.com every Friday at 12pm. I have a guest on today. I'm very excited about chatting to this man. I'm a big fan of his work. A lot of his films he directed at one of my all-time favourite TV shows. I'm talking of the one and only Roger Michelle. He directed Notting Hill, Changing Lanes, Venus, The Mother, Enduring Love. I'm sure I'm missing out some. The Buddha of Suburbia, which was my favourite show. I can't wait to start talking to this man. He's picked, unsurprisingly, his first choice of songs is from the TV show The Buddha of Suburbia. I love that he's still plugging it after 20 years by the amazing, incredible David Bowie. Wonderful, uh, from the much-missed David Bowie. That's the first choice of songs from our guest today, Roger. Michelle, thank you for coming in, Roger. My pleasure. Nice um, to be here. You my, were just... my neighbourhood radio station. Are you a local? I live about half a mile away. Oh. Yeah, so on my way home. <laughs> Which yeah. is why, why you agreed to do it. Well, You're like, I can't walk past... Yeah, you, I can't walk past having yeah. said no. Exactly. I might have to keep detouring every day yeah. out of guilt. You were just saying while the song was playing that you actually shot the video for the yes. song. I did, yeah. We went to Bromley, which is where both mm. Hanif Qureshi, who wrote The Buddha of Suburbia, yeah. and David Bowie were raised. Yeah, yeah. They're both Bromley boys. And like a lot of people who came out of Bromley, they kind of came out of Bromley and went, yeah. you know, I'm going to do anything not to be kind of digested by the suburbs. Yeah, And we went to shoot this little thing that we found this perfect little sort of almost a parody of a suburban street in the middle of Bromley. It was in the autumn. Mm. There was no one around. We shot for a day, you know, in and around the streets where, where Hanif and David were brought up. Halfway through the day, this old bloke sort of came up and muttered to me, said, oh, uh, uh, yeah, I've just, been, I've just been to see his mum. I've just been to see his mum around the corner. David Bowie's mum. She still lived she there? She was still alive and, and kicking then. This Amazing. Is, this is 25 years yeah. ago. Well, here's the connection. I'm from Bromley. You're from Bromley. I oh, was born and bred in Beckenham. Yes. And that's partly why I was such a big fan of the series. Also, because it's it was such a brilliant series. But I actually watched this, The Bitter of Suburbia, maybe three or four years after it had gone yeah, out. you must be too young to have watched I it. Think, I think it was, I was, was like... Out. 14 or 15 when yeah. it actually oh, okay. broadcast so yeah. I was about maybe 17, 18 when I watched it on yes. and this was before the expression binged watched yes. which we all know yeah. now yeah. but me and my friend Ollie Mortman who was also from that kind of part of the world we sat and watched it on VHS all in one sitting until like 3am oh, We and, and then I watched it about 7 years ago so like 15 years later and I couldn't believe how well it still held oh, up good oh, yeah. that's good I haven't seen it I haven't seen it for ages and ages yeah I'm glad to hear it. you think it still stands up absolutely and it's it's sort of so of its own the, the kind of the tone of it and the performances and the feel there's not an awful lot of other things that feel like that show it's very sp- special period, isn't it? It yeah. ends, if you remember, it ends the day Margaret Thatcher is elected. So right. it ends in 1979. And 
Kareem, who's the leading character, mm-hmm. and Hanif and I are, I think, all are all the same age. Yeah, we have the same records. We have the same terrible clothes. We have mm. the same interest in you know obscure books at a very early age. And then, as you know, in the second half of the book, he travels from Bromley to the world of the theatre, yeah. um, particularly the Royal Court Theatre, which is, again, exactly what Hanif and I both did. And, in fact, we both met at the Royal Court in the, in the, in the late 70s okay. when he was an usher and I was an assistant director. I was assisting people like Samuel Beckett and John Osborne. And Hanif was a fledgling writer and usher and part of the Young Writers' Company there. So, okay. we, so we first met there. And so a lot of the people who occur in the second half of the series are very ill-disguised you know, people who we knew yeah. and who, who got very grumpy to see I how loved, they were being portrayed. Um, I loved the Donald Sumter character. Well, exactly, yeah. Donald Sumter. He, you know, was, he, he lives around the corner now. Really? Uh, that character. Yeah. yeah. He was a very important part of our lives. I was going to ask, why, how come you've worked with Hanu so many times over your career? But that's obviously that's how we kicked the off. main reason yeah. you had such an immediate sort of connection over those all those um similarities yes right? and we wrote this the, we adapted the scripts together so so we were locked in a room in the BBC yeah. a sort of tiny little office with li- a lino and one desk and yeah. we were just sort of locked in there for a month turning out these scripts really really quickly did you, was a, uh, sort of emergency I was a bit too young to know how it did in terms of like how it was received and mm. viewing figures and things like that was it a was it a big show at the time was yeah. it something that really um, yeah it was it was a big splash yeah uh, I mean it you know, it won lots of gongs, but yeah. it also it made it onto the front page of The Sun, episode three, because it was full of nudity and yeah. sex and bad behaviour in the suburbs. Yeah, yeah. They did a big splash saying how disgracefully. <laughs> and you were like, the, yes, the, get in, <laughs> come on. Yeah, um, any more? So that was, that was really terrific. It's interesting because it's a period piece. You know, when we made it, we made it in 91, I think. Mm-hmm. So it was already about a, an era that had passed by. And yeah. I remember making the film and everyone's saying, oh, well, you, you won't get much, you know, you won't get much extra money for, for, because it's like now, isn't it? Yeah. And of course, it wasn't a like now at all. It was pre-trainers. Mm-hmm. It was pre-satellite dishes. Right. Whenever yeah, you yeah. did an exterior shot, you had to replace every single car. So you might as well have been doing Jane Austen. You know, which in fact was the next thing I did do. It's just the same as making a Jane Austen period film. Everything, every stitch of clothing, everything had to had to be replaced in the landscape. I often think about that when people do period stuff, and you're like, who, how is it? The script supervisor, who is it that's like looking at all the different windows in the background yeah. and is art it, department? Exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, just even like how new or old, if you know, because. If you're doing a period thing of 20 years ago, were, was the paint um, already good. crumbling uh, back then? Good. Of course or? it wasn't. No. I mean, lots of these period films are set in sort of glorious country houses which are, are crumbling and yeah. decaying. And that's part of our sensibility. We like that yeah. as a generation. We find that attractive Rustic. and compelling. Yeah. Uh, whereas, of course, at the time, they would have been crisp and yeah, right. clean and, and beautifully kept. Who was the guy that played uh, the brother of the girl that he kind of had the on-off relationship with? And he had the sort of disabled hand ah, he, um, he's called Harish Patel yeah, that character just broke my heart he's called Changes. Yeah, Changes. Yeah, Changes. oh my god yeah. Ch-ch-ch-changes, we oh. used to call him after the David Bowie song yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's in London actually he's doing yeah. a play at the Globe at the moment I went to Bombay to find him because I couldn't find 
your Chang'e. That, that yeah. guy in London. Even though, even then, there was there was there was a, a, a good and wide pool of talented mm-hmm. Asian actors here. I couldn't I couldn't find the right guy. So I went to Bombay and um, we spent three days meeting every appropriate actor in Bombay. Couldn't find anyone who was near being correct. What was it you were looking for? I was looking some, with somebody who was as funny as that yeah. but also as, as sad, as sad as well. and as yeah. moving and as skillful as that but also someone who's big mm-hmm. and a clown you know yeah. he's, he was, he's, he's a clown in a way then on the next, the final morning we were due to fly back and our fixer uh, called Dubey said actually I think I might know I might know this guy, do you want to meet him? and we said yeah of course we want to meet him and there he was fully formed so he came and, m- and made the, the program and during the shoot I mean for a start he was probably more experienced at filmmaking than any of us really he probably made you know thousands and thousands of hours of Bollywood movies really yeah. and that was already even back then that was a long established oh yeah since, uh, industry since yeah. the 20s yeah yeah since the 20s wherever you put the camera Harish would find it he'd find the lens if, if you're in a you know if it was a crowd scene yeah Harish would miraculously pop, pop up, up just yeah. the right moment and find the light and find the lens and he told me so many great stories about Bollywood that I went back after finishing uh, Buddha and made an omnibus documentary about a day in the life of a Bollywood actor starring, starring uh, can we, is that available anywhere? I, I hope so it's BBC so yeah. I hope it's on some oh, that would be great. Some website somewhere that sounds like a very luxurious way of finding uh, an actor that I'd be surprised if the BBC would let you do that now like oh we need to go to India for a, a week it, and it sounds leisurely doesn't it yeah. it was like a weekend it but was like a real budget did they kick and up it was, a and fight was, it, it was in desperation it? was I mean, it I had to fight to go yeah but I knew that if I didn't have the right guy then that whole part of the film wasn't going to yeah. work and he's yeah. so charming in it and right. sad yeah and so heartbreaking we, exactly that's what with I think his, with his mutilated right hand oh my god it's so yeah. and she wouldn't sleep with him and that's he's so yeah oh. but she's got other she's bringing other guys back and then she just starts having an affair with a woman yeah I mean <laughs> He really goes through it. It was so groundbreaking at the time. Yeah. That was a huge hit for the show. Were you immediately like with Hannah, should we go and make some more movies together? Or did that just happen? That just happened. Actually, years passed. Yeah. I went off and made a period film. As you can probably see from my CV, whenever mm. I make one type of film, the next thing I'd like wow. to be as different as, yeah. as possible. So it wasn't until The Mother, which was... Probably 10 years later, maybe even more, maybe actually. More. Yeah, yeah, maybe 20 years later that we reconvened. And then since then, we've made three or four yeah. films. I think you, you made a few quite close together in that period as well. The Mother and uh, Venus. Venus was and, quite, yeah, Mother yeah. and Venus. And then there was a bit of a gap. And then we did a film called The Le Weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is great, yeah. Is there something when you work together where it's like... Uh, having worked with other writers in between and then you're back here and you go oh this this feels we're quite grumpy with each other oh, yeah. uh, and we, we're, we're a bit like i guess we're a bit like the couple in the weekend in in that we sort of bicker and yeah. and struggle and fight and of are friends and so it's not it's not an easy process and the producer's um, the jeff goldblum character is it <laughs> if only if only <laughs> jeff goldblum could come and yeah. rescue the day yeah so it takes a long time for us to get to a point where we actually want to make the film make mm-hmm. you know, the materials ready to to go to the next stage sure uh, but we're always even at the moment we're, we're talking about what might be our next thing okay uh, it, it's it's nice to have the possibility at least yes, absolutely that we'll make you know we'll make w- w- one more 
grumpy yeah. film together. Ever thought of doing a sequel to The Buddha of Suburbia? I don't know what the sequel would be. 20 years old, what, what they're all doing. Yeah. What they're doing, probably it would be the 90s, wouldn't it, for them? Yeah, or it would be, yeah. You'd have to make a, a sequel set in the 90s. Yeah, I'm game. Okay. <laughs> you've got one viewer, for sure. You mentioned that you, uh, you've always had a sort of desire to never repeat yourself, and that was something, just going back on, on your CV, I noticed. Mm. And I guess, in a way, I was sort of like prepping some questions, yeah. and I was thinking, like, one of the things I've always loved about about your films, uh, you as a director, is that there's certain directors like yourself and Stephen Frears and uh, Sidney Pollock, who you've worked mm, with, yeah. who are great directors who are managed to make all these different types of movies. And I sometimes feel like people aren't always people don't always get like shouted about those mm-hmm. kinds of directors mm-hmm. but actually I feel like that they're some of the best directors are the ones that can turn their their hands to, to not just like a genre but the tone and the and going through your film it's just amazing that the same guy that did Notting Hill did Changing Lanes who, who did Venus how much when you're uh, you know prepping for a movie are you thinking about the tone of a film or do you just have a instinctual feeling towards the script and the story i think all art and i I think filmmaking is is probably an art Mm -hmm. is a combination of sort of instinct and craft isn't it so that you try and balance out what is your instinctive response to material with a more kind of logistical or kind of rational uh, way of figuring out how you're going to do it mm-hmm. but i mean the fact that the work is so varied is because life is so varied yeah and you know as you'll find when you grow older you don't keep changing mm. and you don't keep changing your curiosity about different bits of human experience so you can only really take on one of these ghastly projects which take so long yeah. are so difficult are so fraught with danger are so hard to finance yeah are so cripplingly disappointing when they don't you know, win lots of awards yeah, or yeah. get seen by millions and millions of people. You can't really take them on. And presumably you're, when you're working for a big studio that you've also got the fear of... The massive machine. Yeah, and sort all of that about stuff to, as well. You, you've got to be so curious and interested in the material that it kind of self-selects. You know, you, right. you don't choose it, it chooses you. And it often takes me quite a long time between projects to be sure that I want to do the next thing. Yeah. And it often projects that I've nursed for years I then find that my interest is gone before I've made them Is that just because of development taking so long or is it actually you think oh maybe I'm not as passionate about this as I thought. I think it's that I I think the world changes and you change your sensibilities change your preoccupations of course change as as the world shifts around you you get older, you know your family changes, you have bigger children, you have more children Mm -hmm. and so Things change, and you and you have to Sounds be, like a, be a lot alive of children. to that. I got four lot. children. Oh, that yeah. is quite. I got a few. Yeah. Yeah. Have you got any children? I don't have children. Okay. No, right. but four okay. sounds a four, lot to four me. Four is great. Yeah. But it's, it's, How uh, does that bode with filming and going off on long shoots and things? Well, it, it had a big impact on me in the in the two thousands. I didn't make a film outside the N twenty five for ten years because okay. I had little kids. So is that the mother enduring love and Venus? Yeah. And I think there's probably another one tucked in that. I think there is somewhere. Uh, so I did lots I do lots of Because I was looking well. at thinking suddenly there's this very British Yeah, I did I did Changing Lanes. Changing Lanes abroad. yeah. Well, yeah. That's great. Yeah. And then I had a big kind of marital disaster. Yeah. And uh, I didn't want to be 
far from my little ones. Okay. So for a decade, I, I didn't work outside. Yeah, yeah. Outside the M25. It, it paid um, well for the creativity. Yeah, it was. Some great I, I saw there. it as, as a great yeah. know, opportunity to do English films. Um, so what, what was it? Because looking at your work, Notting Hill is probably the only film that mm. you've directed that is an out-and-out kind of rom-com. Yes. It's the most mainstream movie you've done. Correct. And then looking at your work before, I don't really know your theatre work as much. By the way, when I was looking, I just did a very quick look on Wikipedia, which is nearly always wrong, but it said that you were a South African theatre, TV and film mm. director. And I, I read it as a South African theatre director, like the, yeah. there's a genre of just South African theatre <laughs> and you only do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but, but then I read on and you grew up in South Africa. No, no? I, was, I was born in South Africa. Oh, you were just My father was an English diplomat, See? so I, I was... Do not I was trust in South Africa for six months. Okay. Um, but it's given rise to all kinds of confusing questions, uh. particularly on live radio programs <laughs> in America, where in the middle of the interview, the commentator or the interviewer says, but hey, your, your, your accent doesn't sound English. Where are you from? Yeah. Expecting me to say, oh, I'm a South African theatre director. Yeah. yeah. But I, I was there for a few months. They keep thinking you'll sound like the villains from Lethal Weapon 2. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Your work before Notting Hill yeah. and post Notting Hill, there's almost no real kind of connection in terms of the tone because Buddha of Suburbia was very edgy, mm-hmm. especially at yes. its time. Yeah. How did it come to you, that project? Because that was obviously a bit of a game changer. I, that was a sort of aberration, wasn't it, for yeah. everybody? And it came to me through the letterbox. Really? As a lot of these things do. Yeah. I mean, I knew, I vaguely knew Richard. And yeah. We vaguely knew each other because we were, we had lots of friends in common because we were exact contemporaries he had Oxford me at Cambridge. I know I really liked Four Weddings. Yeah. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. It was so, on recently. I was like, wow, this, this they really knocked it out of the park in for his first movie, didn't they? What? Four, Four Weddings. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Such a well packaged. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was marvellous. Yeah. yeah. And everyone thought that was going to be a disaster. Really? Yeah. I mean yeah. that was like people were running for the hills away from that film. <sighs> and that turned into this gorgeous, wonderful yeah. celebration of odd Englishness, which yeah, is yeah. what Richard is so good at. I mean, I was just lucky that Richard and Duncan Kenworthy, who produced the film, mm-hmm. I think they liked what they saw of my work. And I think maybe they'd seen my theatre stuff as well. I don't okay. know. And was there any conversation where you had to do your pitch, your version? No. They were just like, we think you'd be great for this. Do you want to come do this? Yeah. yeah. And, and then it took an age. You know, then it was like a year in development and I went off and did another film. And, you mm-hmm. know, it wasn't, it, I didn't start shooting on Monday. What was the film you did? I did a film called Titanic yeah, Town. Yeah, yeah, Julie Waters and um, Kieran Hines. Yeah. Is that set in that, Wales? That's set in Ireland. Ireland, yeah. It's set during the Troubles. Yeah, right. In, yeah, seven, yeah, yeah. in, the, in the 70s, actually, yeah. in 71. It's about a very ordinary um, Catholic housewife who um, leads a very respectable life in North Belfast. And um, one day, all these soldiers start driving tanks across her lawn mm-hmm. and she just freaks out and it's a, it's a true story yeah. about a, a non-political person who took on everybody you know the government the IRA the provost every, everybody and didn't really win but failed nobly to make some peace for her kids to grow up in Did you pick a movie like that because you knew you had Notting Hill potentially coming and so you were like well I want to do something that is not going to be that 
experience. No, I, unfortunately, I never no. think as sensibly as that. <laughs> I never. That may, I, not, I that may be the unsensible I don't, I don't really think strategically yeah. like that. I never have done. Okay. Maybe I should have done. No, I, it's, it's paid off really well. The, you know, going into changing lanes seemed like, a, again, a, a surprise. Like, oh, it was Notting Hill to changing yeah, lanes, it was. right? Yeah. yeah, I love that film. I think it's I actually think it's kind of underrated in a way mm-hmm. because I don't know if that was going through Ben Affleck's he went through that strange period where he was under a lot of uh, press uh, paparazzi scrutiny I don't know it if it was, was around exactly during that period yeah. yeah so it was really tough on Ben because he's marvelous in the film he's so um, good they're both and he, I mean, couldn't, he couldn't have been more more fun to work with really? and more professional and yeah. delightful bloke I I'm really fond of him I felt for him it, he it, just after the film that he I had a kind of ill-fated fling with Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer Lopez, yeah, that and, was all part and that all went pear-shaped yeah. in a big way. And for some reason, everyone wanted to kick the shit out of him. <laughs> so it's been nice to see his uh, that. rehabilitation. So were you, were you surprised? Uh, it sounds like you probably weren't when he turned out to be such a good uh, director himself. No, not no, because he's a really, really clever, smart guy, thoughtful guy. Who you know, I could see that he'd be yeah. very good at that. And I, in fact, I introduced. I was in Los Angeles at the time, so I, I was able to introduce his first film to a screening film. I forgot what it's called uh, now. Gone Baby Gone. That's the one. Yeah, great yeah. film. Yeah. One of the things I love so much about the uh, about Changing Lanes is the fact that you the, the pacing and the tension that you build, even though there's no like murders or hostages, or it's all mm. to do with this is the simplistic version, getting some papers yeah. back from another guy yeah. who's pissed off. And yet it plays like you know a thriller that has all the sort of everything chucked at it with like guns and and it's the tension is just uh, so brilliantly um great music together. dave yeah. arnold great music, music yeah has he um, been on your show dave? he hasn't no i'd like He'd to get him on i sat next to him actually at a um wedding last summer oh. um i should have asked him actually he's I a super have, bloke yeah and really really smart yeah he's very uh, sarcastic he was <laughs> yeah that sounds like so um, uh, that chris tellison cut the film yeah who um, won an Oscar for Moneyball. Oh, yeah. 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 Right Michael film. Tolkien wrote the film, famous wow. for The Player, Yeah, uh, the novel and the film. So it was a, it was a really team. top team. Yeah. And it's really a kind of my attempt to smuggle a cu- quite complicated, dark morality tale into the multiplexes yeah. under the guise of it being a sort of action thriller well because there's a lot about the business side of they're a, 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 an attorney aren't they they're, yeah um, Sidney Pollock's an evil attorney yeah who's been, who's been he's so good at playing evil isn't yeah. he because yeah. it seems like well he seemed God rest his soul like such a nice guy but like in that and also in is he in Eyes Wide Shut I think yeah, he, he is. is yeah and he yeah. does that sort of morally ambiguous thing so well yeah he does yeah he's wonderful he was yeah. great he was great to work with and then so you go, obviously you had this uh, horrible, it sounds like a, a horrible thing in your personal life happen and you decide to stay back. Did you enjoy like the difference between American filmmaking and... Uh, I loved British, it. So I came you? back from Changing Lanes yeah. and made this little film called The Mother. I made it under quite particular circumstances in that I auditioned DPs on the basis that they weren't allowed to generate her. Right. So that if you if you remove a generator from your film set, you remove park, big parking issues. Yeah. You remove lots of sparks. You remove sparks trucks. So therefore, 
you start removing catering wagons. You start removing, do you see what I mean? Yeah. Just from removing that one piece of equipment, yeah. you turn your film from being a massive circus of confusion and expense into something that you can really make out of the back of a van. Mm-hmm. So that's how we made that film. And, and, I, and Were there I, any DPs who were like, I can't work without a generator? There were a couple who turned their, turned their eyebrows up at really? the idea. But Alvin Kushner, who's a very creative singly talented DP who's gone on to do very well in America took up the challenge and I worked out that we could make I think it was 32 mothers for one changing lanes no um, and that, that amused me and delighted me <laughs> and it delighted me that I could really sort of reach out on set and practically touch the whole crew yeah. you know, I could, everyone felt like they were totally connected to the, yeah. to the same film and we um, made the film out of a porter cabin, which was in the car park, which is now Westfield oh, in wow. Chubb's Bush. Yeah. We'd all meet there in the morning. We'd have breakfast together. The actors would get into costume. And then we'd drive off. And every, every set or location had to be within, you know, 20 minutes drive of this base. And that was a whole new way of, of making a film, which yeah. I copied subsequently, which um, I found liberating. Presumably, it's, it was harder then because digital photography wasn't really a thing then, yeah. was it? No, so that's right. That's also it's freed a lot of things up. So you, you're thinking a lot about the cost of the film, right? And yeah. how many takes you do and things when it's that low budget. Also, it was quite a sensitive because there was you know the, the relationship between Daniel Craig and Anne Reed. Anne Reed. That must have been quite a delicate. Yes, thing to have to yeah. direct, yeah. you know, the, some of the intimate scenes and stuff. Yeah, Annie, I mean, Annie was completely wonderful about was it. Was she? It's just... It's a really brave thing really to brave. do, yeah. It, it's just a matter of talking about it a lot. Yeah. You know, talk, talk, talk about those scenes before they happen. Yeah. Be clear what you want to shoot, how you want to shoot it, where the camera's going to be, mm-hmm. who's doing what to who. You know, in this scene, he's fucking you from behind and you come on after this line. Yeah. You, know, you have to sort of so nail, nail it down like that, yeah. and then everyone knows what they're talking about. Yeah, uh, uh, the worst thing you can do is say, "Look, guys, you know, here's bad. Just sort of improvise. <laughs> um, and I'll be <laughs> oh, over here with the camera." I mean, so improvising if, isn't always the best thing with dialogue, let alone exactly, sex moves. Exactly. You know, so by a head, you know, coming to it head on like that, yeah. you take a lot of the, the fear away, and then it becomes fun and funny. Yeah, and she was very funny about it, That's and she great. liked she liked doing it. Yeah, she liked you know James Bond. Yeah, which like that That's well you work with james bond again almost immediately yes. afterwards enduring love which a beautiful film i love the way it's shot and the performances um it was it was the film that made probably not just me but a lot of people go oh wow Reese fans what a yes, revelation it, yeah yeah what was it on because you obviously work with him in notting hill yeah. did you have a inkling that he could do something that different and yeah and i knew reese before notting hill i did uh, a production of undermilk wood at the national with, okay. with reese a couple of years before notting hill and in fact that part originally in notting hill was written for a, a scott okay. so i had to sort of slightly persuade uh, richard to retune his ear and have a, a welsh yeah. voice to play spike i think he's called spike yeah, spike yeah so i knew absolutely that reese had this profoundly melancholy poetic beauty about yeah. him this sort of windswept, sort of gummidgy weirdness, which was perfect. And there's a darkness as well. In, in and a real yeah. darkness, yeah. A Would real you complexity. have got that from 
working with him on uh, Notting Hill because you've got less time to rehearse on movies or was it because you had worked you'd spent more hours with him on in the theatre that you saw different sides well I always rehearse actually I always rehearse for everything so still uh, even in this age where yeah, there's yeah. less money for films it's and not, it's, it's, it doesn't cost anything yeah you just have to insist on it you have and to. actors like it don't they actors like they it they actually like, you know I mean lots of actors have ne- have never done it people like Julia Roberts had never rehearsed and she couldn't really understand what what are we going to do for a week in, right. in this room <laughs> you know and then you could see after a day you could see her thinking why didn't I always do this yeah. this is just for free She's you know, now going, can helpful. I go and redo some of my yeah, big exactly. hit movies now? Because yeah. yeah. I think I'd do it a bit different. It's just reassuring. Yeah. You know, and it's a space where no one else is allowed. You know, I don't, I don't let any, any producers in or mm-hmm. any of the crew or I don't even have like ASMs or assistants in there. So that for the only time in the process, the actors can look foolish yeah. and not feel intimidated make, and take risks because it's risk. so scary on a set you've got a hundred people staring at you yeah. particularly if you're a big star a hundred people are staring at you thinking I know how much you're fucking getting paid for this now show us yeah. how wonderful you are you can, or even, you can smell the fear on these poor, totally poor yeah or, or even like one of the things you know having acted myself and talked spoken to people who act who aren't like big names the thing of going in and doing just a scene yeah and then suddenly the pressure is, you know, really you should be so prepared because you haven't been in every day. But actually, weirdly, yeah. it has this reverse thing of you go in, you, you have two lines and then you fuck them up. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's yeah. going, oh, my God, all right, yeah. mate, you've just been in your trailer for the last I know. four hours. I but know. Well, that's why trailers are so toxic. Yeah. Because you just sit there getting scared. Yeah. You do. Going that inwards. Pop- yeah. Going the dark nightmare approaches. Yeah. Thinking of the 50 different ways you can say the word and. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably the, the rehearsal thing comes from the, the years in theatre. Is that? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that transition still happens as much as it used to of theatre directors going into movies? Don't know. I mean, there were a clutch of us who all came out of the Royal Court. Simon yeah. Curtis, Danny Boyle, Antonia Bird, mm-hmm. myself. We were all vaguely at the court at the same time in the late 70s. Yeah. I don't know whether it's happening so much now. It's different. Everything's different it's because, so different, yeah. as you say, fundamentally, it's because the technology is different. Yeah. You can make a film with, you know, on your phone. Different. I've made a film on my phone Have with uh, Ellie Goulding. I made a, a short film, three-day shoot, on phones. It was great. No generators there. No generators <laughs> there. No. That was the main uh, thing. Um, Enduring Love. I, I love the whole film, and it's, such a, it's so uh, beautiful, but... And I'm sure you spoke a lot about this when the film came out, but the opening sequence mm. was stunning. Yeah. I always remember feeling like, wow, that it's, it was quite quiet the way you shot mm. that. Yeah. But yet really tense. Mm. Uh, it well, was, it was, it's quiet in that there's no music. There's no music, but you sort of ramped up the sound design or there's something. lots of sounds. Lots there's of wind. wind and there's sort of pheasants coughing. There's yeah. a strange... Like insects sort of, or... Yeah. I think of it as the Garden of Eden, you yeah. see. And it's Adam and Eve about to open a bottle of champagne yeah, he's yeah. about to propose to her and then this sort of big red apple comes in this uh-huh. balloon I like that. and everything is broken forever I'm not clever enough to have worked that out you're not meant to <laughs> work it out it's just meant to lodge somewhere yeah. in your subconscious that's, you no that's great I, I, I sort of felt it was like a new genre ambient action Cool. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there was because yeah. it didn't. It just sort of proved that you don't need to throw loads of hard cuts and yeah. loud music and. Well, the, um, the guilty secret is that there's something beautiful about this moment for everybody. Yeah, they, right. They stand watching this balloon go up in the sky, and of course it's stunningly beautiful. Yeah. But there's a guy hanging off the rope. 
you know, and even as he falls like Icarus, it's like wonderful. Yeah, there's something. And then you cut to this bloke covered in yeah. what were in fact really interesting skinless chicken breasts, right? Mixed with raspberry jam. Didn't they look great? They just looked just like intestines. Oh, I thought you'd just gone off on a, like, you were giving me a recipe to have for tonight. <laughs> no, no, that was no. limp. That was, like, broken. That, that, that's, that's how, that's how the, the, the special effects guy did his ruptured um, oh gut. Oh, my God. And we, you know, brought flies to it. Yeah. It jam and so chicken and jam. And he was buried. The stunt yeah. guy was buried up to his waist. So his real legs were under the under ground. The, right. And then in front of him were these hideously shattered prosthetic legs with the bones all sticking out of his trousers yeah, and it's it's shocking good. shocking very man. short little glimpse of that yeah is all you needed no it was great i urge anyone anyone listening if they haven't seen the film to go and see it you've worked with daniel a few times have you ever considered doing a bond have you ever spoken to the well bond i nearly, i nearly did do a bond i mean i came very close to are doing you serious a bond. yeah i would love it's to see ambient ago. action bond yeah i'm not sure, <laughs> they'd, of, I'm not sure they'd be very they'd not be up for it they're oh, like roger yeah. why is there no is music there, what, and lots yeah. of insects in this uh, chasing you, you can't <laughs> 20 seconds yeah um it's a long story but I, 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 I was very keen to work with Daniel yeah. and I really like the Bondistas I re- really like Barbara and Broccoli very very much right. but we got to a point where I was sort of signing on to do a film and there wasn't a script and it just made me feel unhappy and, and scared and yeah. worried I like to really prepare a film maybe That's... too much but the idea of going into a massive film like that without a script just freaked me out and I, I jumped ship is the worry that when you get the script and you're already committed, yeah. you, you can't, can't connect around. with it, or yeah. Yeah. yeah, or it's no good. You're not into trying to polish something. I always polish <laughs> things like mad. Yeah, but I mean, I, I mean, like the phrase "polish, polish a, turd. a turd." Yeah, well, you're not, it depends how. What, not really what into sort of that. Turd it is. I didn't even have a turd to polish. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's... show me the turd, and I'll tell you where I can polish it or not. It's a lot of pressure as well. On it would be different if it was you would. Let's just try something organic, a little indie film, and mm. yeah, yeah, we'll just exactly. find it. Yeah. But when it's the juggernaut that yeah. is and it, that it, it reached the point where the broccolistas were asking me to just start to storyboard some of the action sequences and you're like for what and, <laughs> and they weren't really yeah and well, they just were saying make well, that's him okay. run somewhere just, you know yeah just yeah. start to start well that's that. when you hear about these big tentpole movies where uh, you know the Disney and Marvel and all that kind of world where they set a date for a movie but they haven't got a script yet I just always think that's the most Back well, to that's, front exa- way of that's doing exactly it. what was going on here yeah. because it was they were desperate to have a film come out in 007, 2007 mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Yeah, and when I pulled out, they postponed for a year. And it, if they said to me, "Look, calm down, you know, we'll hold it for a year, we'll get the script right," I would have. So I it's your been, fault there wasn't a 007 in 007. Well, it's my <laughs> fault that you weren't subjected to, to a, a bad double O yeah. film directed by me in oh. 2007. Well, if that's your greatest gift to the Bond legacy, then we uh, thank you for that. Have you worked with Daniel since you did two? F- and they were back to back, weren't they? More or less. Yeah. 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 He's great in those two movies. And then Venus, of course. You had Venus, which getting to work with Peter O'Toole. Also, I think you did one of the most miraculous things. You made me watch Leslie Phillips and mm. not think of the Doctor in Love films. I actually... <laughs> which is because he was so synonymous with the with hello ding, ding character. Dong, yeah. yeah, Ding yeah, Dong and all yeah, that. Yeah. And I just wasn't thinking of yeah. that. You know, it was such a no, beautiful so, performance. so lovely in the film, yeah. Both of them. They're such a great... and But it feels like a film that might even 
now in this day and age i know it's only been like 10 years or mm. something ruffled too many feathers because do i don't know but there's a lot of sensitivity around pedophiles and that kind of thing well th- there's that and he, clearly he wasn't that but mm. he fancied her oh yeah and he yeah, lusted yeah. after mm. her and there was you know that's quite a touchy mm. subject it was was that how was that dealing with that because jody was quite young then wasn't she she was new and she's about, yeah she's in her 20s i think the character's in her early 20s so yeah it wasn't like yeah, it wasn't like an illegal thirteen sort of, or something. No. Yeah, more creepy than illegal. Yeah, I mean, is it creepy for old men to? It's not creepy. Fancy young women, of course, I mean, it's not. just it's just what happens. Yeah, they do. But we're not. Know. It's not something that people appreciate you talking about for some well, reason. Do you know get, what I mean? Get over it. Yeah, you know, get, well, get over it. It happens, yeah. and that's partly what the film was about. I mean, I, I always think that the mother is more is more about sex than Venus. Yeah, you know, Venus is really about yearning and love and death and him knowing that he's dying that he's mm-hmm. going to die and here's this this sort of ugly duckling who turns up who sort of reinvents him briefly yeah do you feel the character her character knew you know how much was she playing him and yeah oh yeah yeah oh yeah she, she i mean she's a wonderful character cause, yeah because she does bad things in the film yeah. she does and um then she redeems herself I guess with the mother, it, maybe there's a question over if it's the if the older person is a woman, it's more empowering than Very if it's. Very good. I'm sure that's right. Yeah. If it's an older man, that's your get just, out of jail card. Oh, maybe it's I a woman, not for me. <laughs> um, but you know, we had uh, someone, a guest on, who was talking about. No, I just remember Jason Solomon's describing Venus as creepy, and I remember being slightly angry about that because if you find human behaviour like that creepy then what about other aspects of human behaviour? Yeah. You know, just by saying it, it's a bit creepy doesn't make it go away. And also, it's a real thing. Like, people, yeah. you know, someone who is an out-and-out paedophile, that is a rarer thing. But a man who finds the beauty of a younger person yeah. is... Yeah. Everyone's thinking that. Yeah, yeah. So it's, exactly. just, it's exactly. just a conversation people aren't having, that's exactly. all. Yeah. yeah, I guess that's... It's frustrating when people get... Even in good reviews, I don't know what your attitude towards reviews are, but I find even with good reviews, if they get the wrong end of the stick, I'm still pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> even if they've said they yeah. enjoyed it. I'm like, yeah, but that wasn't the point. That's not the point. Can you, I'd rather you hated it and got the point. <laughs> I agree. Okay. How much do reviews matter to you? I'd like to say not at all, but of course, that's not true. I do think reviews matter to me. Yeah. I think that um, you, you know, you're you're serving up your best shot to the world and, and one way of gauging how the world perceives your child, if you like, is mm-hmm. by reading what people write about it. I suppose what's difficult now is that everyone's a reviewer. Yeah. You know, and, that, and so that you don't have to have any experience or qualification or uh, skill or sensitivity to become a reviewer. And and that's that that's can sometimes be annoying. Because mm. there was... I guess there was a. It was considered that there was an art in film uh, criticism, or or in being a specialist in that. Yeah, field at, at least having a kind of hinterland of yeah. having seen a thousand, two thousand, three thousand films. Yeah, having a judgment which was, you know, worth listening to, as opposed to people who are just basically in the pub mm-hmm. taking a pop at things. Uh, do you think that reviews matter more in the theatre, where you've really got to get bums on seats, or is it? I don't think they matter really in either. In either, really? I, I think really nowadays, 
it, there's a kind of mysterious sort of uh, partly word of mouth sort of vibe, partly kind of social media vibe. Yeah, I think that's what fills fills cinemas now. Do you I mean, the last film I made got good reviews, but did badly. And at this box was office. my cousin uh, Rachel. My cousin Rachel. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that was out this year, right? That was out, yeah, in the summer. And is a film like that harder to get made? Did you have you noticed a difference between that and say ten years ago? No, I don't know. No. I mean, that was a that was a one stop shop. That was that was Fox Searchlight, who, okay. who commissioned the script and made the film. So that was pretty wow. good. Yeah, that was pretty good. And yeah. The budget was fine. I mean, it, but it didn't do well, and that's disappointing. Even yeah. though the reviews, for the most part were favourable so. do you think when you go into a certain films that you think well this one might be a risk in terms of box office not like how good the film will be but yeah. just with the noise that's out there at the moment I mean I'm always complaining on this show that this the cinema's just turned into a superhero thing and mm. if you want good grown up comedy or drama or whatever you sort of have Netflix. to go to TV yeah. now and yeah. uh, it's you certainly feel when you take your tiny film to somewhere like Toronto. In fact, Toronto is a bit smaller this year than it has been. But you go to Toronto and there are like 500 films there being mm. shown in 10 days. And you feel like a little kid at the back of a very crowded hall with your hand in the air saying, <laughs> please, sir, look at me. Yeah. You know, look at my look what I've done. Yeah, yeah. And you know you don't stand a fucking chance. You know, you don't. Most films don't stand a chance. Far too films get made. Far too many films get made in my view, particularly in this country. I think if we stopped making new films, there would still be enough old films for us to watch. Forever. Th forever. In perpetuity. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's absolutely right. You know, there's a lot of really good ones. Yeah. If, you know, you don't mind uh, watching what might feel like dated acting or whatever. Yeah, I know. totally agree. And often I prefer to watch an old film than... Yeah. Than I've got a bit like that. I've, I'm with my girlfriend and we'll watch... We'll be thinking about what to watch. And I'll suggest we watch something I've seen twice before just because I know it will definitely be good. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's um, too much choice. I, I'm, I'm scared that Netflix and Amazon uh, have created a disposable attitude towards movies where you just switch off after eight minutes because it hasn't captured you. Whereas you never used to do that. And I feel like that's... It's our entire culture now, though, isn't it? It browsing, is a bit. Browsing. Browsing on tiny little fragments of oh. this and you, you, know, you never listen to an album anymore do you I mean, no. albums used to be created to so be heard sequenced. as a sort of narrative yeah and now you just go to the track that you like you know Pink Floyd trying to release The Wall now they'd have a, exactly. they'd have a yeah. tricky time of I, it this is a bit of a digression I went I did a play years ago I did a play called uh, Temptation by Václav Havel mm -hmm. when I was at the RSE and at the time he was still a dissident in Czechoslovakia so it's before he was president before the Velvet Re Revolution so this is about 87 right. and he was uh, his plays were not allowed to be performed in Czechoslovakia so he hadn't seen one of his own plays for 21 years Wow! so we made a very crude video record of this production in Stratford um, thanks to the generosity of people like Tom Stoppard and Trevor Nunn who, who, who gave us some, some money uh, to make this little video and we took it out to show him mm -hmm. we made a we got a video and we kind of ca sort of camouflaged it under a sort of false title and we smuggled it through to Prague me and the leading actor John Shrapnel and we showed it to, to Václav Havel who insisted on not just watching it, but 
having a screening in his in his room, his front room. So about thirteen high-powered dissidents turned up, and um, it was switched on, and we watched it solemnly. And then there was a long discussion, and then John and I did interviews for Samizdat newspapers. There were three of them, three newspapers, illegal, and we did interviews as you as yeah. we're talking now. And they talked to me about how, with Samizdat um, novels and poems, collections of poems or essays, um, the market created um, the, the the terms on which it, it was uh, received. So that if it, if people loved it, it was popular. Um, you'd have to make lots of copies of this thing, right? But <clears throat> every piece of artifice was was devoured with such scrutiny like everything yeah. was so precious the work that had gone into typing this out on carbon paper right you know, you'd make 12 copies of each thing yeah, yeah. and you'd pay more for the first copy because the last copy was really faint yeah and i came away from that weekend thinking i feel an odd guilty envy at you you will value culture yeah. so profoundly and the minute i get on the plane there are going to be 12 newspapers full of this and that exhibition and this book and maybe we should like only print 12 copies of a movie <laughs> and then you know what's the equivalent of that there what is i don't know is there an equivalent anymore i don't think there is there used to be like vi the vinyl collectors of yeah. you know original copies and things and well there still are but i mean nothing quite like that where yeah. you there's a sort of supply and demand element as well isn't there of yeah, there's exactly there's a supply and demand element so but that if you really thrill your audience, they'll come back for yeah. more. And if, but also just the craft and work that's gone into something, presenting it like you know something that is got some kind of value rather than uh, bored yeah. next. Yeah. yeah, which happened to music, like as soon as the internet was invented. Got but, it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we've ended on a bit of a downer about the state of the. Uh, um, is there something because you've done so many brilliant things? Oh, I guess look, I have to ask one question that is, you know, it's I, I hate to have guests on and then say what is so and so mm. like, but you have worked with the legendary Bill Murray, oh, yes. who I have heard so many stories. Yeah. You know, one of what the main ones being that he has no agent. You yeah. have to contact him through some 0800 number and just <laughs> leave a message and hope that he gets yeah. it or something is you, you work with him on um was it uh hyde park on hudson yes and did was i mean does he live up to the reputation is there yes. a mystique yes. is there a will he turn up yes is there i mean i i was i was doing another film in new york and the props girl had worked was a friend of bill murray's and so i said i've got the script which i of a film um in which i want him to play FDR Roosevelt mm -hmm. yeah. and I, I'm simply not going to make the film without him he's the only person I want and did you believe that or was that just a way of getting his attention no no I meant that yeah. I didn't want to make it with anyone else okay can you get him this script and she said I'll try it so I didn't hear anything for about a year and then I was in LA cutting something I was in a cutting room in ba Bad Robot in Santa Monica one morning my mobile phone went and this bloke who sounded like Bill Murray said hi it's Bill Murray I'm lying on my back at a hotel downtown my back's gone what are you up to 
And I said, is that really you, Bill Murray? And he said, yeah, yeah, it's me. And I said, and he said, I'm in, I'm in, I like your film. And I'm interested in doing it. And then we had this sort of cat and mouse thing. I got his number then, so I would just phone him up. Yeah. Phone him up now if you want. Yeah, okay. And, um, I would, I do want. Eventually, we got the, 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 the film was green lit on the basis, obviously, that Bill was going to play the leading part by focus. And we hadn't quite nailed him to the ground, but we did go into pre-production. And we, we, we were in pre-production for about two months, paying out all this money to everybody. And, I, and eventually I got a text from Bill saying something like, um, at the Augusta Open, um, really enjoying reading about FDR, I'm in. Wow. And we showed that text to the financiers yeah and they said that's fine by us wow because they knew as everyone else does who's worked with bill that if he says he's going to do it he, he does will, it. he will do it yeah that's he, incredible do, do you not get incredibly stressed yeah doing all that pre-production going oh can't. what if he yeah. what if he just what? turns around disaster and says, yeah and how do you put the same amount of energy into all the ideas and creativity yes when you, you don't know you trick yourself right you trick yourself you have strategies in your own brain delusion and nuts, denial that you that you only allow to the demon of doubt to pop pop out you know late at night um you trick yourself that it's all going to happen and you have to do that every single film really. oh man do you ever um have you had one of those instances where it fell through never. at the very last minute never no not yet that's good yeah that's good I hope for your sake that it never happens. Me too. Um, it's been an absolute... I, I could keep asking you more questions, but uh, we, we're going to run out of time. Um, we are going to just wrap up with your... We get people to pick a, a guilty pleasure or a surprising um, you know, TV or, mm. or, or film, TV show or film. Something that you know our listeners would be surprised that that person is a fan of. Or You've picked a TV show, and it's quite current... Yes, very well. Very current. It's so current. It's, it's on today. Well, in, in fact, that's no pun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's. Uh, it's on today. You picked uh, Bake Off. Yeah, I did pick Bake Off. And are you a, you're a big fan of this. Are you? Well, I'm. I'm a big enough fan to at least be interested in talking about it. Yeah. I mean, I. I like everyone else. I was. I was dismayed when it went. You know, it went across the tracks to Channel Four. Yeah. And in fact, my wife and I saw. Um, we saw Mel on the Heath. Yeah. And we shouted out. No, it was Sue Perkins. We shouted out, good for you. Good fucking great. Good for you for turning it down. Rock Power on. to the people. And she said, no choice. Never a moment's choice. But um, it's actually transferred very well to, yeah. to Channel 4. I mean, what's I interesting. Say, Sue who? You know. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> no. but the th isn't it funny how the BBC are under so much stick all the time? So much like people, you know, yeah, uh, giving it a hard time about the licence uh, fee yes. money and stuff and then a show leaves the BBC and everyone's up in arms it's like make your <laughs> mind up guys what is it that yeah. you have a problem with I think it's because that show was as British as Wimbledon that's right. why and I think that that's what, what one thing that was wonderful about it is that it, it, and it and it's still trying to do this is that it's such an inclusive show Yeah, you know it brings together all kinds of diversity of gender of, of uh, you know creed of sexuality yeah and it wraps them all up in a kind of lovely marquee bow with a sort of proxy queen. Yeah. You know, the queen is either um, 
um, you're you know, right Prue or what's her name or Mary they're kind of they're kind of, kind of like but it's more kind of like representative it is. of uh, the multicultural world we live in than things like EastEnders it or is. It is. You know, I, dramas I love that and things about it. Yeah. And I love that it's and yet at the so same British. time so massively yeah. British and twee and yeah. Yeah. Um, I resisted watching it for so many years just thinking well, why would I be into that even though I adore cakes I, it has to be said uh, I think to the point where I have a problem with cakes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've had to quit them. Um, but I, uh, I, as soon as I sort of watched about twenty minutes of it, I, I got the, I got what the it was alchemy. about. Yeah, it's a very cunning recipe. Yeah, it really and is. and Noel, uh, who's the new presenter, and he's a friend of mine, and that was a very surprising moment because oh, none of us yes. could imagine him doing that. Yeah, nor no, 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 least of all him, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's done um, a good job, I Yeah, think. him and Sandy he's, are an odd, yeah. odd <laughs> little mix, aren't they? Um, well, uh, it's, a, it's a good guilty pleasure. Um, I'm probably not that guilty, if I'm to be probably honest. Not that Just guilty. more of a pleasure. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you've really sold it for on, on a sort of humanistic level <laughs> as well. Um, so your last song, uh, your, of the two songs you picked, um, not something from your own uh, work, um, unless you're either older and more, even more eclectic than I, I thought when you were 10, 10 yeah. um, is the theme tune from The Monkees, which is a brilliant song. Yes. Um, were you a big fan of The Monkees as well, a kid? Well, I was. I mean, I, I, as I say, I was 10, and they were, they were, the, they were known as the prefab four, yeah. weren't they? Because they're, <laughs> they're, they're a completely synthetic yeah. um, construct. Yeah. They're like something that's come out of The X Factor. Right. They're like Harry Styles. That, what's that band called? Uh, One Direction. One Direction. Yeah. They, they were, there, was, there was an advert in the paper, mm-hmm. and Bob Raffleson, who became a very good movie director, um, auditioned hundreds of kids and put together this, this fake version of the Beatles yeah. with a kind of kooky one like Ringo Starr, the pretty one like Paul McCartney, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And um, they didn't write their own songs, as you know. Was, uh, Neil Diamond wrote the, one of their biggest hits. He did, he? yeah. I'm a believer, yeah. 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 But there was something marvellous about them, and they were trying to imitate uh, Hard Day's Night, that Richard Lester film, yeah. which uh, which is, in its own way, was the first sort of pop promo, Hard Day's Night. Mm. And it has the same, the, the series had the same kind of ridiculous playfulness and mischief as the Hard Day's Night, and the song has always stuck in my head. And they had to sort of become a band afterwards they did. in order to play... Yes. I think they kind of went native, didn't they? Yeah. They insisted on composing their own songs. Yeah. And, uh, and even sort of toured well into the 2000s. Yeah. 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 I'm sure they tour as a three-piece or they pro- David Jones is dead yeah. now. Yeah. 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 I think they do. Anyway, it's a great song and a brilliant one to end, even though it's sort of an introduction song, that, but we're playing it out. But Very postmodern. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Roger, for coming in. My pleasure. Here we come. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes.